0: Welcome to Sundays at Grace, the preaching ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill. I'm so glad you've joined us once again. Now, in this edition of the podcast, I'm going to wrap up a sermon series I've been in for the last seven weeks, 2020 vision, seeing your life through God's eyes. And specifically in this edition of the podcast, we are going to look up the first three questions in the Bible. Go to Genesis 3, We'll find the first three question marks. We're gonna ask those questions and we're gonna answer those questions and see how significant they are to this whole idea of Christ being formed in me. Now, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with this message, as well as there's a button there. You can click on that link and you can support financially the ministry of Robinson Grace Church and help us continually put out these messages. But I'm excited about this message and primarily how we're simply going to see how important the authority of God is to Christ being formed in us more fully. I hope you have an awesome week. Thanks for joining us for for this message and uh, let's get right to it. The message today, Life's Biggest Questions. really big purchase like you know you buy a really expensive car isn't it isn't just crazy today how expensive new cars can be you can spend you can spend 30 or 40 thousand dollars just on a new car that's just crazy it's mind-boggling to me Um, I guess that's not the kind of car I usually look at but uh, you can do that today or maybe it's a home I guess a Part of the biggest purchase we all make is our home right now when it comes to making a really big purchase there are a couple of, well there's one really key component to making a really big purchase and that is asking the right questions right so if you're going to buy a car off somebody you want to ask the right questions or if you're going to buy a home you're asking the right questions about that home now there are two ways this can fail us number one is if we just forget to ask a question we should have asked. And sometimes that happens. You know, you buy the home and it's like, oh, why didn't I ask them about this, you know? And, uh, and so then it's too late. But but the reality is we can forget to ask a question we should or we can ask a question and we can get uh, faulty information. We can get the wrong answer. And, um, and the reality is uh, we want to get the correct answer to our questions. When we're dealing with a big purchase, we really, it, it comes down to asking those questions. The reality is, as people, as individuals, we're pretty inquisitive. Even as little kids. You know, kids ask the craziest questions. I found a few questions here that I think are, are pretty fascinating. For instance, a a few a few, kid, a few questions from kids. Dad, in the olden days, was everything black and white? Dad, this is a good one. Dad, why did swear words get invented if we're not allowed to say them? Dad, how did people make the first tools if they didn't have any tools or one kid mom what did it feel like on your last day of being a child (laughs) or mom why can't I see my eyes or mom why do I have two eyes if I only see one thing or mom why don't crabs have eyebrows or I love this one mom why don't spiders get stuck in their own web there's one to think about for a while right One little girl was sitting at a restaurant. She asked her dad, why are we here, daddy? Well, we're here to have lunch. No, no, why are we here on this earth? So so you see, kids can ask really crazy questions and and then sometimes really deep questions. They're very inquisitive. The the fact of the matter is, whether we're a little kid asking these inquisitive questions or we're an adult making a big purchase and we're asking questions, uh, the reality is we have questions in life and they demand some very accurate answers we're going to conclude our series here 2020 vision seeing our life through god's eyes we're going to conclude this today and we're going to look at the first three questions that are asked in the bible Of course, here again is our key verse My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So, we're going to take the first three questions you find in the Bible, the first three question marks in Scripture, and we're going to use those to kind of unpack this verse one last time. Now, I have to say, these are not the first questions that are answered in the Bible. If you go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you will find really the answer to to two of our biggest questions ever. Those questions really are simply this. It's who is God and who am I? Those are the two biggest questions we're all asking, right? Who is God and who am I? And those are the first two questions the Bible answers. They're not asked, they're just answered. You can find that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The questions we're going to look at today are found in Genesis 3. First time in the Bible you'll find a question mark. Three questions that are asked. And we're going to unpack them and see how they tie back into this whole idea of Christ being formed in us. And that's been the goal of this series is how can Christ be formed in me more fully. Now, here's our big idea for today. Here's a big idea, a great big idea. For Christ to be formed in me, I must submit to his authority. In fact, let's all say that together this morning, okay? For Christ to be formed in me. I must submit to his authority. We're going to unpack this idea. You're going to see this tie back into all these these three questions we look at today. But let's start with the key text in Genesis chapter 3. And let's just read through this here. And then we will begin to walk our way through it. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And in these 13 verses, there are three questions We want to look at it. I'm going to give you the question and I'm going to give you really the answer to that question right immediately to go along with it. We're going to see it right up front. But three of life's biggest questions that we need to deal with and especially if we want Christ to be formed in us more fully. So first question is simply this. Did God actually say... I mean, did God really actually say, this is a big one, this is one of the biggest questions we have to answer in our lives, did God actually say? Now, here's the answer to this question, simply, we must submit to His authority, that's the, that's the answer. We have to submit to the authority of God. See, this first question is the authority question. This is the question by Satan that challenges the authority of God. It casts some doubt and challenges the authority of God. Now, most people look in the story of Genesis Here in Genesis 3, they look at this tree and they look at the tree and they they say this tree represents a choice. That it's the the choice tree. So we're not just robots, we're not just programmed to worship God. We can choose to worship God. I, 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 I would contend a little differently. Actually, I think in this story, Satan is the choice. Satan is the second option. They can either heed the words of God or they can heed the words of Satan. Satan is the choice. The way I like to see this tree in the Garden of Eden is I like to see the tree in the Garden of Eden as a symbol of God's authority. As a symbol of God's authority. And anytime they would see that tree, they would be reminded that there is a greater authority over them. And that as long as they stay in relation to that authority as long as they don't violate that authority things will be okay in fact this is fascinating look at two verses with me here if you would galatians 2 9 now there's two trees right two central trees in the garden of eden the tree of life tree of knowledge of good and evil so the tree of life was in the where the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which means the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also in the midst of the garden. We see this in Genesis 3.3, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Can you picture it? Can you see it? There's this beautiful garden and in the center of the garden, there are two trees. There is the tree of life and there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, we've looked at those trees many times. One way to see them, though, is that this is the tree of God's life or the life of Christ. This is the tree of God's authority. And, and this is what the garden revolves around. And this is what our lives need to revolve around, what our families need to revolve around, what our world needs to revolve around. And, and, and the reality is, what God is saying to us here is that if you violate if you violate this authority, it will be a fatal, it will go fatally wrong for you. Note this, God's word is God's authority. So just understand today, when we, when we think about the world we live in and the problems that we live in and how if we violate the authority of God, it goes fatally wrong for us, God's word is God's authority in the world today. We need to know that. And think of all the problems in the world today that would just dissipate if we could just submit to God's authority with this connection in mind just think about how god's word speaks into our life and can solve so many of our problems god in his word teaches us how to handle our money how to navigate our relationships how to manage our careers how to deal with our emotions how to supervise our sexuality how to conduct ourselves in public and also in private and ultimately how to obtain salvation God's word is the authority on all those issues. Take that last one, salvation. The world today looks at this issue of salvation and how you get to heaven and and, and they say, oh, the the Bible is just so narrow-minded. God is just so narrow-minded. The gospel is just so narrow-minded. And the real reality when people say that is, it's real simple. The issue is, they do not want to submit to the authority of God's word. And of course, it will go fatally wrong for them. If I were to take someone up to the top of a really high mountain, a really high cliff, and I told them, basically, I I took them up to this really high, really tall mountain cliff, and I told them that if you stepped over the edge of that cliff, you would plummet to your death hundreds of miles down to the ground. The reality is, that's true. That's not narrow-minded, that's true, that's a fact, that's a reality. What Satan, his argument to Adam and Eve in this instance is basically this, ah, uh, you won't really die. It might feel like you're dying momentarily. It may seem scary for a moment, but trust me, you won't die. The problem is, truth is not narrow, truth is truth and if you reject christ when if you reject christ when you die it will be like stepping over the edge of that cliff where you will drop hundreds of yards to your death and you will end up in hell that's not narrow that is true that's the loving truth and so i always think about the folly of this argument that oh you won't die satan's lie you won't die i think about the folly every time i do a funeral and i always look over at the casket and say was satan lying or was satan lying of course he was lying we have funerals all the time we die it's a fact of life why because adam and eve disobeyed god ate the forbidden fruit and brought death into the whole world So the the point of this question this morning is this, is is that when it comes to Christ being formed in us, the authority is the key. The authority of God in our life is the key. We're asking, where can Christ be formed in us? Maybe it's in the way we handle a negative emotion or approach a relationship. Maybe it's in how we discipline ourselves or confront certain temptations. Maybe it's in how we break a destructive habit or deal with an addiction. All of these things in our life and the reality, it comes down to God's authority. Does God have authority in my life? Does God have authority over my emotions and my time and my money and my body and my behaviors and my thoughts? Does God have the authority. And so Satan says, did God actually say? See, this is a question that Satan uses to cast doubt, but it's also a question that we have to deal with every day if we want Christ to be formed in our lives more fully. Again, for Christ to be formed in me, I must submit to his authority. And so we see this tree here and this first question is all about the authority of God. And the problem is we don't always do the best job submitting to God's authority, whether it is indifference or inconvenience or fear. There's times we just fail to submit to the authority of God. So um, why do we struggle again to submit to God's authority? Let's unpack this a little more. And I have three different perspectives. And I think we look at this, this question by Satan. We can look at what's he implying? When he said, what's his implications behind this question? And, and I think Satan actually exposes this question. Three of the reasons why we have a tough time Submitting to the authority of God. We can walk through these. There's the risk assessment first. There's the risk assessment. It's this question. Did God really say that he is the ultimate authority? I mean, okay, come on. God can have authority in my life. He can have some authority in my life, but he has to have authority over every area of my life. Do I have to submit to everything to God? What about those areas in life that it's really scary to submit or surrender to God? And we all have them. We can all find those areas, right? Laying down our rights, giving up that security blanket, letting go of that hurt, jumping into that opportunity, reaching out to that wounded person, setting someone free who wronged you, following God anytime, anywhere. There's a countless host of of issues and scenarios where it's like it's just scary to submit to God and his authority. Think about all the great heroes of the faith and, and how they had to surrender to the ultimate authority of God for God to use them. You see, we can't get past the risk assessment. We have to deal with the risk assessment of, 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 follow, of following God and su- submitting to his authority. If we fail to submit to the, the authority of God, it will kill. It will be fatal. It will kill our finances or our hope or our spiritual growth or God's purpose for our life or even some of our relationships. I'm not saying it kills every time, but oftentimes it does. And we need to ask ourselves, what am, I potentially, what am I potentially killing in my life because I won't submit to the authority of God and his word? Consider the risk assessment through the very life of Christ a moment because here's the reality. We talk about how we have the very life of Christ. Well, the reality is when Jesus walked the earth, he talked about this whole issue of authority and he lived his life. Think about this. If Jesus could live his life under the Father's authority, then how can not we live our life under the very same authority. There's a string of verses that prove this, but I'll give you one in John twelve forty nine. I could take you to a bunch of them. For I have not spoken on my own authority, Jesus said, but the Father who sent me, he himself, he himself um, has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus didn't come on his own authority. He was under the authority of the Father. And again, if he can can do that, I think we should be able to do that as well, to live under the authority of God. Jesus, when it came to the risk assessment, he ignored the risk. And and living under the the authority of the Father, Jesus went all the way to the cross. And yet, was the cross a risky proposition? I would say no. In fact, we saw earlier in the series that it was on the cross when Christ was most fully formed in Jesus. When he most fully came alive in Jesus Christ was when Christ went to the cross and came out of the grave. That's our goal, right? That Christ would be formed in us, so we need to realize we need to submit to his authority and reject the risk assessment. Here's the trust factor. The second thing we can see here in this authority issue is did God really say this is as good as life gets? That's kind of the implication here by, by um, Satan to Adam and Eve. You know, God's holding out on you. There, there's more. You're missing out on something He gets them thinking there is more life to to experience. There is more knowledge and insight to be gained. There is something they're missing out on. There is a sweeter fruit out there to be tasted. The issue for us is always a trust factor. It is the belief that we will know our best life if we simply trust God, if we trust his authority. Do you believe that this morning? That you're going to know your best life, your most uh, profitable life, your most enjoyable life, your most fulfilling life, if you trust the authority of God. I love this verse here in 1 Thessalonians. Here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Believers. What a, great, what a great verse there. And again, we note that God's word is God's authority. And the Thessalonians, when they heard Paul speak, they didn't hear Paul's words, they heard God's words. And I love that verse. How awesome that verse is for a Sunday morning. How much pressure that takes off of me that it's not about what I say on Sunday morning, it's about what God says on Sunday morning. It's about His truth that I proclaim. And I hope on Sunday morning you don't hear my words, but you hear God's words. I hope you hear the Bible as the authoritative voice of God in your life and throughout your world. Here's a great verse in Colossians 2. Look at this one with me a minute here. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus our Lord, and remember, Christ is our life. I love that. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he is now your life, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty the seed according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. Did you catch it in that verse? First, don't be deceived by this world. Don't be taken in by the lies of this world and the lies of Satan. But look at that. Christ is our life, so walk in him and realize who Christ is. He is the head of all rule and authority. The very authority of God today. When Christ came out of that grave, the Bible says God gave him all rule and all authority over all things. And he indwells us. He's right here. The authority of God is right here. And we need to simply surrender to that Authority. That's how amazing it is. We need to yield the, the authority of Christ here in our minds and, and hide the authority of God's word in our hearts. You know, we live in a crazy world right now. We really do think about this. I mean, sometimes you wonder how anyone can become so deceived to believe what they believe. I read the story this week. There is, there is actually in this year's Olympics, there is going to be a biologically male person Competing as a transgender female, in f- competing as a female. And, w- and most people think that's really crazy and that's just absurd, but the reality is the percentage of people that are being deceived and thinking that's good and we should. You know, we should accept that. It's growing. That number is growing. The answer to the problem, though, is simple. God is the ultimate authority on gender and sexuality, just as he was in the garden. He ends the confusion and the debate. But you can just hear Satan, right, speaking to certain people, saying, are you really a man? Don't you think, don't you think maybe you're a woman? And people are confused and people are deceived. The confusion grows throughout our society. So the first question, did God actually say with a large dose of doubt tossed in? There is a third uh, perspective to this. We're not going to deal with this much, but it's the pride component. Basically, am I really incapable on my own? That's what Satan is telling them. Satan says to them, if you eat this fruit, that they will be like God so they won't need God. How great is that? You'll be just like God and you won't need God to come in the garden anymore and walk with you and fellowship with you because you'll be just like God. But God put the tree of life in the Garden of Eden to represent the constant fellowship that they needed with Christ. And so the reality is, yes, I am incapable on my own. I need Christ. I need him. He is my life. So that's the first question. Let's jump down to verse 9. And here's the second question then. Did God actually say? Yes, God actually said, and we need to submit to his authority. The second question here then is this. Where are you? And so God comes to them and comes into the garden. Where are you? And I, and I I think really, how do we hear this voice even? I was thinking as I read it earlier. How do we hear this in our head? How do we hear God speaking this? Where are you? (laughs) <laughs> or where are you? And, and I, I wonder, how do you hear the voice of God today in your own life? But there's the question, and this is a very personal question. God comes along. You see, every day, Christ came down, walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, literally walked in the garden, and they talked, and they fellowshiped, and they, they sang songs together. You know that old hymn, and he walked with me, and he talked with me. And uh, that's exactly what they did. Every day, they fellowshiped there in the Garden of Eden. Eden. Now, understand, when God asks this question, it's not that he doesn't know where they are. It's not that he doesn't know what happened. He knows what happened. He watched it happen. He watched the whole debacle unfold. In fact, before he created Adam and Eve, he knew what would happen. He knew that this was going to happen. And he still created them. And I get it. That opens a whole can of why questions, right? It's like, okay, why? I mean, if God knew, why would he create Adam and Eve, if he knew, there was going to bring about this level of evil and suffering and darkness into the world, and and at that point, how do we answer that point? We simply submit to the authority of God and recognize that God is God and His ways are not our ways, and we don't have His mind. Christian apologist uh, Robbie Zacharias weighs in. Uh, with this comment here to walk away from one's faith because of unanswered questions about evil is to walk into a storm of unanswered questions about good that's the reality and so uh, just just think about the the reality of what's going on you're all the goodness that god wants to pour out into our lives and uh, and yet here we are um, struggling with these 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 questions of evil This question is not a geographical question, it's not a physical question, it's a question that says I have have an inner man, not just an outer man, I have a soul. And so the reality is, is that we must answer his call. When God says, where are you, we must answer his call. It's really the question when you think about it, can you hear this question this morning echo in your own soul, that God is saying to you this morning, where are you? In, in relation to me, where are you? We have to answer his call. Um, it's kind of the question we've been asking throughout this series. Where am I in relation? Where can Christ be formed in me more fully? Where am I right now in my relationship with Christ? at the ground level there's there's just three ways we can look at this this uh, this question here. at the ground level, it's simply the identity. the identity of, the, of this are you in Christ or Dead in Adam. Are you alive in Christ or dead in Adam? That's the question this morning. This is the question that pours through the pages of Scripture. This is the question that is the driving force of the entire Bible. And we've been dealing with this the last couple years a lot here, but it's that simple reality. Everyone in our families is either alive in Christ or dead in Adam. Everyone in Grand Haven, everyone in the world, you're in one of two places. You're alive in Christ, you're dead in Adam. We could today line everybody up in this room. We could have everybody that's in Christ over here, everybody that's dead in Adam over there. And you're going to be in one of two places. You just are. And in your heart, you know, you know, you know if you have waved the right flag and surrendered to Christ, and what's so fascinating to me is the number of people with broken and messed up and hurting lives and yet they just can't wave the flag. They just they they just have to pretend like everything's great and everything's fine and I can manage life on my own and I don't need a savior and your reality is one day, one day eternity comes and God is going to strip away that facade. And you know what? There is no pretending in heaven and there is no pretending in hell. No pretending. And who you are is fully revealed. So I pray today that you are in Christ, and that you have made that decision, that you have believed and received in the gospel. And, and so we can extend the question beyond our identity, though, to our maturity. Think about the maturity aspect here. It's simply this, are you walking in truth or walking in a delusion? Know this, only the truth can mature you. There are some people in life, they just need to hear the truth. If they're going to grow up, they just need to hear the truth and own it and accept it and respond to it. But look at this verse again we looked at earlier, Colossians 2. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirit, uh, spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. And so just understand that we need to counter the lies of Satan. He is trying to deceive us. How do you counter the lies of Satan? By becoming mature in the truth. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to real quickly. I have 12, 12, a quick 12-step maturity test. What does spiritual maturity look like? The mature Christian. And we're not going to read all the scriptures here but they're, they're on your handout. And there's a, a passage in Philippians 3 and in, in Ephesians 4 and in Hebrews 5. And uh, I don't have time to read them, but we're going to go through and I'll give you 12 quick marks of the mature Christian. The first couple we just saw in that passage in Colossians. The mature Christian is established in the or their faith. Think about faith having really two components. There's the, the, the Christian faith, right, in general, that we have to be established in the faith. And then there's our faith, our measure of faith. We're developing the faith that Christ gave us so we can live our life for Him. So the mature Christian is, is established in the or their faith. The mature Christian abounds in thankfulness. He abounds in thankfulness. And there's two ways to understand this because let's be honest... You can, you can be an unbeliever and be thankful and practice gratitude because you know it's a beneficial thing to do. But here's the reality. Abounding in thankfulness as a believer is, is what we are thankful for. Being thankful for our hardships and our adversity, knowing that God is working in them and through them. That's, that's for starters. And then also this idea of, of thankfulness is just, in, in regards to this test, in reverse. If you're a believer and you really struggle to be thankful well, that could be a sign of some immaturity in your life. Areas where Christ needs to mature you and grow you. Because the reality is the mature Christian will abound in thankfulness. That was back in Colossians chapter two. The mature Christian knows they have not arrived. This is in Philippians three. Paul says, I press on. I have not arrived. I'm striving for what lies ahead. And we understand that maturity is, it's an ongoing process. We're We're growing and maturing day by day and month by month and year by year and Sunday by Sunday and sermon by sermon. We're growing relationship by relationship. And so understand that, you know, like back on thankfulness, if you struggle to be thankful for something, that doesn't mean you're an immature Christian. That's not what I mean. Understand that this is is the totality of we're gradually growing and growing and growing. But these are just kind of general signs that we can look at. The mature Christian has learned to let go. Paul says, I let go of the past, striving for the future. And so the mature Christian has learned to let go and to trust God and to give him all the the junk that they're hanging on to. The mature Christian is not distracted, but focused on Christ, running the race, focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith not distracted by the temptations of the world around them, not distracted by the, the adversity that they face, but they're in this race and they're just, they're just focused. Um, the mature Christian similarly endures in their race. They just keep running and keep running and keep running. and keep. The more mature you are, the, the more you just keep running in the race and sometimes it's not easy to run. The mature Christian knows how to handle God's word. Ephesians 5 tells us this and, Maturity as a Christian doesn't mean you have a bunch of head knowledge up here that you can quote all kinds of scriptures and you know all kinds of doctrine and theology. The mature Christian is the person that can take what's up here and can funnel it through their heart and knows how to handle the Word of God and apply the Word of God and use the Word of God with discernment. The mature Christian hears something and says... That's not right. Or they hear something and they say, I think that's not right. And so they, they find me or my dad or Wayne or, or somebody that's a really, that really loves to study the scriptures and they think is a, a good handle of the word of God. Says, so, Is this right? I heard this. Is this right? Discernment. It's the mature Christian. The mature Christian is being equipped to serve. Ephesians 4 tells us this. We're being equipped to serve, to use our gifts at home, at church, in the marketplace We're developing those spiritual gifts God has given us along with our talents and abilities to serve Christ. The mature Christian is growing with other Christians. The message from two weeks ago, that as Christ is formed in me and Christ is formed in you, we are formed into Christ. And we don't grow alone. We don't mature alone. You won't be all that God wants you to be on your own. You need to to be in a, a fellowship of believers like this. And so we're growing together with other Christians. And the mature Christian is not deceived. We see that in Ephesians 4. You see that in Colossians 2. We're not deceived. Satan doesn't deceive us and trick us. I'm not saying we never get deceived. Again, this is maturity. It's an ongoing process. This is not like a, just a general statement. This never happens. But I'm saying, for the most part, we're not deceived. And also along the same line, the mature Christian is not unstable. We're not tossed all around by the cares and concerns and adversity and struggles of this life. We're stable in Christ. We're mature in Christ. And then finally, the mature Christian looks like Christ. You just look more and more and more and more like Christ. That is spiritual maturity. And you can look at those things and you can say, maybe there are some areas here where, you know, I need to work on my thankfulness or I need to work on being a little more stable, a little more calm when life when life's problems attack me or maybe I need to have a better handle on God's word. These are all areas where we can mature. Spiritual maturity is Christ being formed in me. And again, and again, for Christ to be formed in me, I must submit to his authority. Now, there is one third angle here, there's identity and there's maturity. And then there's spirituality. And how does spirituality fit into, into this argument? What's the difference between being a spiritual Christian and a mature Christian? There is a difference there. I think it's pretty fascinating. And I'll give you a great answer for that. But think about spirituality in this sense. Spirituality is, uh, here's the question, are you walking in the spirit or in the flesh? Every day, are you walking in the Spirit or are you walking in the flesh? And so to walk in the Spirit, what does that look like? Well, here's the reality. Being a mature Christian would be, would be this, this, this long process over time. It's growing, it's maturing over time spirituality is more the day-to-day walk it's how am I walking right now in the spirit every day and there there's sometimes that I that I develop the spiritual practice spiritual discipline of reading God's Word and as I read God's Word every day over time what do I, I become more mature and so spirituality can lead to maturity and yet understand this maturity requires Spirituality, because here's, here's what a great definition really is if you want to understand spirituality and maturity. Uh, um, look at this verse here, Philippians 3. Here's that verse again in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained, says Paul... Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So notice there that Paul talks about maturity. And maturity is enduring the race and it's pressing on and it's letting go and all those things we talked about. That's, there's maturity that develops over time. But spirituality is holding true on a day-to-day basis to what we have obtained. In other words, spirituality is living out my maturity spirituality is living out how i've matured in christ and the reality is you can take a new believer for instance they haven't been saved very long they're not very mature but they can make spiritual decisions they can walk in the spirit and grow over here is someone who might be very mature might have been saved their entire life very mature believer but at the present moment they're not making very spiritual decisions they're not walking with the spirit, they're walking more in the flesh at the present moment in life, and they're not living out their maturity. Paul says, live up to what we have obtained. Spirituality is living out my maturity. And so today, the question that echoes in our soul is, where are you this morning? Are you in Adam, or are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, where are you? Spiritually and in your maturity. And those questions hopefully can help you as you go forward let's go move on here now to the very last the third question that is raised here in genesis chapter three and uh here's what it says i don't think i put it on the screen i did okay but the lord god called to the man and said to him where are you and he said i heard the sound of you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself he said who told you that you were naked Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And there's that third question, who told you? Who told you? And this this is the question that basically acknowledges that we must know his voice. We must distinguish the voice of God amongst all the other voices. Who told you that you were naked? And I wonder this morning when we think about that question, who are you listening to this morning? You see, see that first question was, was the one that spoke about the ultimate authority, the one voice that needs to speak into our life that has the ultimate authority and the final authority to speak into our life and hopefully we know that that is God and His Word. Now it is true that God speaks through other people. He does. Hopefully every Sunday He speaks through me. Hopefully you hear God's words, not just my words, but God speaks through me every Sunday and that's the reality. Of knowing his voice and hearing his voice. The truth is, though, we are all listening to other voices and we need to be aware of what those voices are saying to us. So, this question, who told you, could be expanded upon. Think about this. Here's some, see if any of these sound familiar to you. Who told you that God didn't love you? Who told you that? your sin was too great, who told you that you were the product of your past, who told you that you were the sum of all your wrongs, who told you that you didn't matter, who told you that you didn't have anything to offer, who told you to give up, who told you to quit running, who told you there was no hope, who told you that you couldn't trust God, who told you that you could make it on your own, who told you to build up those walls, who told you to not let go, Who told you that you were a victim? Who told you to be scared? Who told you to be ashamed of yourself? Who told you that you need to hide? And the truth is we could go on and on and on and on and on and on. Who told you? And how would you end that sentence this morning? Let me give you the three primary voices we're hearing today. The voice of Satan always deceives us. Just know this. The voice of Satan always deceives us. Satan, he is... He is a liar. If Satan opens his mouth, he is lying to you. Now here's the problem. Here's the scheme of Satan. Is What Satan does is Satan always takes a little bit of truth, says a little bit of truth, and then mixes a lie in. He kind of twists the truth around. That's his, so he says to Adam and Eve, did God actually say? And Adam and Eve are like, well yeah, God said. <laughs> God said something about this tree. See, the truth. But it's going to lead to a lie. And then comes the lie. He says, you will know good and evil and be like God. Now, is there any truth in that? Will they know good and evil if they eat this fruit? (laughs) Yeah, there's truth. And you'll be like God. That's the lie. You see, the reality is, God knows what good and evil is. He knows the difference between good and evil. He doesn't know good and evil experientially. Adam and Eve, they now know good and evil experientially. It's not until the cross that God understands good and evil experientially that's the wonder of the cross but here's the the simple reality satan is the voice that always deceives us we need to know and recognize that voice then there is the voice of sin that always shames us the voice of sin this is the voice that drove adam and eve into hiding you see the voice of sin did not drive them to god but from god Exact opposite direction. They did not need to run and hide in the woods. They needed to run to God and say, Daddy, 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 oh, we messed up. They didn't do that. They heard the voice of sin and they ran and they hid from God and God comes along and says, where are you? It's time for our walk. Our walk sin will always shame us that's why jesus came and went to the cross and came out of the grave he came to defeat sin along with Satan he came to, to silence sin along with Satan look at a great verse one of these verses I've read this so many times and some of you just read it and you think boy I don't know if I ever caught the weight of that before there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Did you get the weight of that? Here is sin that condemns us and shames us and and, and taunts us and mocks us. And Christ comes to the cross and he dies for sin and he condemns sin. And he silences sin and says, you don't have a voice anymore. Just shut up. And then he says to us, where are you? Where are you? And who told you? Who told you? There's a third voice. And I quote this all the time as well. Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. There is the voice of the Spirit, the voice of grace that always frees us. Always frees us. And God speaks into our life says where are you and who told you he speaks to our inner man reminds us that we are indeed free that we do not need to hide he told you that you were a child of God he told you that you were his workmanship he told you that you were worthy that you were holy that you were forgiven that you were justified and sanctified and gifted and empowered and adopted and called and held and loved that you were his temple and that you were forever. That's the voice of God. Who told you when He told you? That's the dynamic that is present in this text today. And so, what did we learn today? We learned for Christ to be formed in me, I must submit to His authority. I got one final observation for you in just a second, but just what did we learn today? Christ to be formed in me, I must submit to his authority. And we looked at these three, really, questions. Did God actually say? Yes, he did. We must submit to his authority. It'll be fatal for so many areas of our life if we do not submit to his authority. And then where are you? And we must answer his call. Are we in Christ or not? And are we growing, maturing, and are we walking every day spiritually spiritually? Where are you today? And I bet you, every, I know each one of us in this room can circle one of those three. Identity, maturity, spirituality, and say, this is where I'm at. This is where I need to work on right now. And then number three, who told you? And we must know his voice. We must distinguish his voice from all the voices that are out there in the world today. So for a closing observation, think about this. I want you to think about the first question in the Bible the first question in the Bible this just struck me this week the first question in the Bible was asked by Satan very first question he he asks the first question and he casts the very first doubt and we know that Jesus right it, the Bible says Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies we know that in, in, in John chapter 8 but let me just tell you today that he's also the father of doubt. That all doubt originated with Satan. He cast the fir- told the first lie and cast the first doubt and said, can you really trust this God? Did God really say that? Is he really your authority? Is he really your best option? Are you sure you can't do it on your own? And I just think that's pretty fascinating today. And sometimes we even find these churches today, it strikes me odd, but they celebrate doubt. Let's have a night of doubt. Let's all get together and share our doubts because we have doubts. And let us understand where all the doubt originated from, from Satan. All doubt originated from Satan. Satan. And just know that. He's the father of lies as well as the father of doubt. So where do you need to submit to God's authority this morning? Is there one area in your life? I can think of my own life. I can find an area in my life. I just need to submit more in this area. Where do you need to submit? And then the second question there is where are you this morning? Do you need to focus on your identity, your maturity, or your spirituality? I pray that no one walks out those doors again and you have not dealt with that identity issue that you do not know for sure that you are in Christ today. Do not leave. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. You just in your heart have to humble yourself and say, Lord, I believe, I receive, I want you as my Savior. Trusting you today to forgive me for my sins and to wash me clean and to secure me a place in heaven. Just know that because the reality is, is where you are right now today is where you'll end up in eternity. If you were to die right now, that's where you'll end up in eternity. And then finally, which voice do you hear predominantly right now? Which voice do you predominantly hear right now? Sin, Satan and his lies, sin and his condemnation, the Holy Spirit and his freedom. Heard a great story, I'll leave you with this. Christine Kane is the head of A21 I think it's called A21 it's 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 designed to eradicate human trafficking in the world and and deal with human trafficking sex trafficking all that throughout the world it's a bigger problem than most realize and so she was telling the story about she has a daughter a young daughter and uh, she said her husband would always speak over her daughter. He would always say these things to her. He would say, "You're intelligent and you're courageous and you're beautiful and strong and you can be whatever God wants you to be and you can do whatever God wants you to do." And he would always speak these things into her life. Well, she goes off to kindergarten and she's in kindergarten one day and this kid comes up and this kid wants this teddy bear that she has and and he rips this teddy bear away from her and says, "You're dumb and you're ugly." And so the teacher is recounting this story to to Christine, the mom. And uh, Christine got a little bit shaken. You know, you'd be kind of like, well, that's pretty, you know. She said, no, no, it was really awesome. You should have seen what happened. She said, your daughter put her shoulders back, and she looked that little boy right in the eyes and says, no, I'm not. My daddy says, I'm beautiful and I'm intelligent. And I just share that story as she shared it, you know. Whose voice are you listening to today? The lies? The deception of Satan? Are you listening to the shame of sin? Or are you listening to the voice of your Father who tells you that you are loved, that you are wanted, you are chosen, you are mine? Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you want to form yourself in us. Thank you that you have created us in your image and then you redeemed us at the cross and you say, yes, you can be just like me. I mean, you can be really like me. And I can form myself in you and the maturity that I will develop in you will carry you through life. Help us understand, Lord, if there's an area in our life where we're not submitting to your authority that could go fatally wrong for us in some way. Help us understand that the voices we hear around us in the world that aren't yours, that don't come from you. Help us know, Lord, to to tune those out and to listen for your voice, to be reminded and reassured of who we are in you. And God, I just thank you today. We give you all the honor and glory and praise and everyone say, amen.